0: We're going to learn a magnificent Rashi Secha today where the Rebbe analyzes Rashi's explanation of Esau's love towards his brother Yaakov and how it was really insincere. But what the Rebbe does is he builds up a whole methodical approach to trying to understand the various components that Rashi teaches us only to explain in really practical terms that you have to think of the context of what was going on in Esau's emotional state at the time this is going to teach us not only clarity about Rashi's message and why he words things a little differently to some of the classical sources but also a very powerful take-home lesson for all of us all starts with the could all start to the that says Vayoratz crossed ran to greet Yaakov keu, and he embraced him Vayipolatzavari Vayibor and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and the two of them cried Pirush Rashi so firstly Rashi explains al what does it mean when it says that Esav embraced Yaakov he says it aroused his compassion very important there was a catalyst that made Esav feel compassionate towards Yaakov that is where he saw him bowing and bowing and bowing as the terriers just described that invoked mercy from Esav and therefore he hugged him then then Rashi explains the word that he kissed him and he says look in the Torah you'll see the dots on top of all of the letters of the word and says are two views as to why that is and where are these two views found in the Brisa of the sifri one opinion is why are there dots to distract us from the literal meaning of the word and to tell us that Esau was insincere when he kissed his brother um, ben ben then says, hi say It's a well-established legal principle in Judaism that Esav hates Yaakov, always. But something happened here. At that time, he was suddenly aroused with a sense of compassion. Therefore, he kissed him wholeheartedly. So it sounds like the first opinion says, insincere kiss, and the second opinion says, sincere kiss. So now we have a whole string of questions. First of all, Why does Rashi, when he tells us about the motivation behind Esau embracing Yaakov, Rashi aligns that with what's going to be the second explanation of Aisho In other words, that it is sincere. His uh, compassion was aroused. And Rashi does nothing to explain how the first opinion, who believes the kiss was insincere, how would that opinion interpret the hug? doesn't tell us. But doich akolayim, it would be a really difficult answer to suggest that. She Rashi somechal kafsher, but you say pasuk teichat lachreze, because Rash is about to explain this; he doesn't have to explain it. In the case of aichab keil, because he's about to explain it, aishakeil, pirusal beishakeil, she loyne shakeil b'chol libay, that the first opinion about the kiss that Aisav gives to Yaqub, that it was not full-hearted, and we made a move and shegam aichab keil loyhayyab b'chol and we should then extrapolate that the hug was also not whole-hearted because the word has those dots which the Torah put there deliberately to draw our attention to the fact that it's not to be taken at face value which does not exist in the context of the hug that Esav gave him so we can't just relate the interpretation of to to and if, if we can't, then Rashi should have given us two views of Vayi Chabkeu, one of which matches the first opinion of Vayi that it was completely insincere, exactly as he did in the case of um, Vayi Chabkeu. Okay, So that is the big question we have about Vayi Chabkeu. Why is there only one interpretation? Why doesn't Rashi match it up with the two views about Vayi Chabkeu? Now let's look at what Rashi says about Vayi Chabkeu now that we're at the next one where Rashi explains the word so if the first pasuk about the embrace Rashi was satisfied with a single explanation how come when it comes to the kiss that Esau gives to Yaakov now he feels the need to give us two explanations it's not only two explanations in the most generic sense two explanations which as we're about to see Rashi says are of equal value the fact that Rashi introduces us by saying there are those who argue as to what the significance of Keyu is. Anytime that Rashi tells us that there are two views, the impression Rashi wants to create is that there are two equally valid views, at least from a perspective of Pshat. Typically, when Rashi brings two or more opinions, without telling us in advance there are going to be different opinions and usually what Rashi does is he tells us first the one that is the easiest to fit within the context of the Pshat the simple understanding of the pasuk, and then he'll tell us the one that's a little bit more difficult to fit into the Pshat but Mashenke, my makom she matem lifnei shnei pirushim kibunin deidan. But in a situation like ours, where Rashi introduces by saying "Alloshem yashcholkim bedavar hazeh," that there are views on this particular opinion, uh, this particular pasuk. But Chayos, if there's any other similar language, after the chayro he sofam yoter even though that really as information that seems like Rashi didn't have to tell us because we'll work it out if there's two opinions they obviously argue that's because Rashi wants us to know that both opinions are equally valid in the context of pshat now when we examine the two opinions on Vayishakeu it does not seem that they're both equally close to the pshat let's let's have a look the first opinion which is that Vayishakeu is not a real kiss because of the dots on top of the word that's a much easier explanation to accept because the purpose of those dots is to distract us from the words and help us realize there's something else. The Raul puts it this way. It's somewhere between writing and erasing a word. So in other words, it's drawing our attention to the fact that don't read it at face value. And there are various other examples of places in the Torah where there are dots above letters, which the Sifri quotes, But the Sifri says are similar to this one. And in all of those cases, the objective of those dots is that we read the Pasuk and don't take it at face value. That fits perfectly with the Peshat. literally means he kissed him. Now there's dots. He didn't really kiss him. Makes perfect sense. But from Rabbi Shemim Vayichai's point of view What are the dots detracting from the word? He wants to tell us that he did kiss him sincerely If Rabbi Shem Vayichai's point is correct That actually Esau was sincere when he kissed his brother Then we don't need dots on the words Because means That's the meaning of the words So, clearly it would appear that the first explanation is closer to pshat. Why does Rashi indicate that they're both equal in the pshat? So, the commentaries try to give us an explanation. It's a bit of a convoluted explanation The is not going to accept it That's actually what Rashbi is referring to That's why he has to tell us The default position of Esav Is to hate Yaakov So I don't need anybody to tell me By putting dots on top of the word That Esav didn't kiss Yaakov sincerely Because he would never kiss him sincerely Because he hates him It's self-understood and therefore say them before Hashim, actually Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is, tw- is flipping it the other way around that the dots on top of Vayishakeu are to tell you despite the fact that usually of kisses with insincere intentions here it was actually sincere so in other words it's the Nikud that helps us actually understand this the only problem is that doesn't fit the rule of how dots on top of words work in Torah again using the Rabag's expression There's a word which is semi-erased by the dots above it. In other words, the word is weakened in its meaning. Here, we're not weakening the word kiss. We're actually highlighting that kiss means kiss. We're strengthening and highlighting this word. He actually kissed him, even though you don't expect it from Asa. That's completely different to any other place in the Torah where we have this principle of more dots than letters. (coughs) Even Rashi himself will give us many examples where the dots above words are there to minimize the typical interpretation of those words. So why does Rashi quote that second opinion of Rabbi Shimba Bo Yehoi? And even say that it sounds equal to the first. <coughs> makes it sound like it's of equal value to the first interpretation. Our simple appreciation of the Pasuk does not sound like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's interpretation is as poshut as the first interpretation. I will say, because he's quoting, Rashi's quoting the Bar the Sifri and it has both opinions that's not reason enough the golden rule of Rashi is he will not quote something from a source unless the particulars that he's quoting are relevant to the Pshat and we can't say that the only reason he's quoting Rabbi Shimon Bar is because he is the second view in Sifri doesn't matter if it's not relevant to the pasuk to the Pshat to the pasuk, Rashi is not going to quote it so why does Rashi only give us one interpretation and not two why do we need two interpretations and why does Rashi indicated they're both equally close to the Pshat when they don't seem to be that way furthermore more questions (laughs) Rashi's quoting over here from the Sifri but the truth is he had at least two other choices of where to quote from and some of those other choices might have been a better fit for what Rashi wants to tell us in Pshat why does Rashi specifically quote the, ver- the version in the Sifri? And then told us where it's from. So we'll know that he's being specific. He could have looked at the Medrash Baratius on this pasuk. Where you have the same kind of debate. Why did he choose this one? Okay, you'll say, "Go look in Bereshis Rabba. It's not identical to what Rashi is trying to tell us." <coughs> so you could say the reason he doesn't quote the two views of Bereshis Rabba is because because the second view in Bereshit Rabbis, so the first view is exactly as we've got. But the second view is, that actually Asaf never intended to kiss Yaakov, you've probably heard this madrash, He wanted to bite Yaakov on the neck. And Yaakov's neck became hard as marble, and therefore he couldn't do it. Now that, we'll all agree, is far from Pshat Rashi is going to avoid that kind of interpretation because it's really distant from the Pshat Plus, they were completely removing the meaning of the word Vayishakeu there is no kiss at all Rashi would prefer to say that we're weakening the word Vayishakeu because that's what dots normally do and so therefore it's an insincere kiss but to go as radical as to say there was no kiss at all despite the Torah saying Vayishakeu that's beyond the pale of pshat. So fine. So Rashi wasn't going to quote Rabbi Yannai. But Avirashi hoye yochalavi asadei orishonis Rabbi Breishis Raba das Abishim ben Elazar. But Rashi could have quoted the first opinion in Breishis Raba, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who says Melamit, This pasuk va'yishalkey teaches us shenichmurur achma b'yisashon neshakubach l'libay that Esav was suddenly aroused to have compassion for Yaakov, <coughs> and therefore he kissed him full heartedly. And that matches Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi. Especially seeing as Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi is the one who teaches this principle that you always pay attention to the dots in order to reinterpret the word if there are a whole lot of dots. That's how in this Medrash Bereishis Rabbah, Rabbi Shimon Ben-Alaze starts the conversation, and that's something which Heybi something Rashi has quoted numerous times before. So you would actually expect Rashi to select Rabbi Shimon Ben-Alaze. the first opinion he's leaving as a nameless opinion anyway. So bringing Rabbi Shimon Ben from the Bereishis Rabbah, why go with Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yohoy from the Sifri? But the easiest quote should have been Avister Nelson, because that seems the most succinct. Remember, Rashi likes to be succinct. The both opinions are in And they are clear and concise He didn't yeah, Esav didn't kiss him wholeheartedly <coughs> First opinion Rashi quotes That's great because that also fits with the Bereshia Rabb. The same opinion This kiss was a true sincere kiss we call As opposed to all the others Okay, so now let's summarize the questions we have on Rashi at this point. Rashi. Our questions are as follows Why is Rashi specific? To use the language of Sifri, not of Esther uh, and not, certainly not the Majrash. Why do we have to know where the source is? Gimel The other question Why does Rashi have to tell us Who the opinion is That says that it was A sincere kiss Rashi typically does not quote The bala HaMai Unless it's going to help us Understand things better Last question, Talid. Why does Rashi have to introduce his interpretation with Isra by opinion by saying there is this axiomatic principle that Esav hates Yaakov. Why is that going to change our understanding of the P'shat in this particular passage? Of course, it's a valuable thing to know Generically But in this Pasuk The language that Rashi uses And even the Medrash uses is Everybody agrees That even if it was a sincere kiss It's that ASA was aroused to mercy Then In that context In that moment implying that Esav hated Yaakov before the kiss and he continued to hate Yaakov after the kiss you don't have to tell me so now the Rebbe is going to present a potential way to answer all of these questions <coughs> and <coughs> it's actually a beautiful explanation but it's not going to be to the Rebbe's satisfaction <coughs> now we can answer as follows the first thing is we have to know if Rashi is telling us that both opinions on Vayishakeu are yesholkim, meaning they were both close to pshat, what we can also say is they both agree that the role of the dots over the word Vayishakeu is to undermine or weaken the typical meaning of Vayishakeu. The question is, what does that mean? Does it mean that it's teaching us he didn't kiss Ya- Yaakov, full heartedly. And Machlisha is inyanan is telling us the concept of kiss is being weakened by the dots, so the kiss is not full. Veinu ledasabshim. But has a different opinion. And Machlisha has shel Where Abshimba Yichoy says no, it's not weakening the meaning of the word kiss in its generic form. It is weakening the meaning of this interaction. Who kissed who? That it's Asaph kissing Yaakov. That's what's being weakened. In other words, <speaking> in <Hebrew> because we know that Aesop hates Yaakov. <speaking in Hebrew> if we didn't have the dots, we'd say we know the context. It's Asaph kissing Yaakov. That cannot be a sincere kiss. He hates him. So, therefore, the dots here weaken the context of hatred in this kiss. So that Rabbi Shimba Yehoi can actually say, guess what? In this moment, this kiss was with an arousal of compassion and it was actually sincere. And if you think about it, according to the first opinion, actually you would think the dots only apply to the word Vayishak. The fact that it's Kei who supports Rabbi Shimba opinion, actually. Vapizem, move the first thing we say is, ah, now we know that both opinions are coming from the same perspective. The dots weaken how we are supposed to understand the word. Dots are there to weaken the typical understanding of the word with the dots on them. So that explains why Rashi would say that they're both equally pshat. Number two, we would also explain why Rashi brings two opinions on Vayishakayo. Why? Because when you go with the first opinion, you would expect the dots only to be on the letters of the word Vayishak because we want to weaken the message of kissing. Whereas Rabbi Shem explains why there's dots on every single letter. So in other words, as we'll see in a second, there are... Whenever you have two opinions and they're both equal in pshat, it could be that they're equally good or it could be that they equally have a, a, a weak point. So this would be the weak point of the first opinion. The dots don't measure up to the word that you're trying to interpret. Now we'll also understand why Rashi wanted to quote the Sifri V'loyasa obviously, Ovis and uh, not the one in Re- Rebbe Nassim, even though it's much more concise. <speaking in Hebrew> because it's the language of the Sifri that's going to help us understand. <speaking in Hebrew> the context for Rabbi Shem is that this is a va'i It's a kiss between somebody who hates the other person. But yeah, <speaking in> here, suddenly he was overwhelmed by emotion and he kissed him with his full heart. Those words help to understand what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's entire interpretation is. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's entire premise is that without those dots, we would have understood this kiss as the kiss of a begrudging enemy who has to kiss his antagonist. And now that we know that, we understand how Rabbi Shimba understands this posik that the dots weaken the entire message of Yishokehu rather than just the word of kiss. And lastly, Ma'aseh Rashi asks Shmuel Shabbat LaMa'amaru B'ayich Abigiz Dafka. That will also explain why he chose this opinion, not the Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazer opinion, but the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai opinion. And he told us it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai why? Because there's something about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's methodology of how he learns Torah, where he always looks not just at translation, but always as meaning behind the translation to understand the translation better. Rabbi Shimon's famous approach is why did the Pasek say what it says? In other words, it's not good enough just to see the words and learn something from the words. You always have to understand the words based on the contextual understanding of why these words are there. Why is it who? Not just the meaning of the word kiss. So the first opinion says the meaning of the word kiss, weakened by the dots. Rabbi Shimon says, Time it crawl, What's going on over here? Vayisho Kehu. who hates the is kissing him. But we're going to diminish that hatred in this particular kiss. And if he's a movement, that's what he's explaining here. Here the dots come to reduce not to take away from the, the, the literal meaning of kissing. As the first interpretation said, Kehu means it's not actually kissing because Rabbi Shimon would say well then what's the difference who it is who is not relevant Rabbi Shimon follows his shita which is you always dig down into the context the context is it's of kissing Yaakov the dots come to tell us but this is not Esav as you normally know him in other words Rabbi Shimon Ba-Yuhai is emphasizing in this context which is the kiss of Esav to Yaakov Rabbi Shimon looks into what's going on <coughs> behind the, the scenes of the word kiss from which Rabbi Shimon Ba-Yuhai points out this is a kiss shared by an enemy then come along the dots Weaken that and say, he's an enemy, but not right now. Beautiful explanation. Except, there's something still lacking in this interpretation. We have to have rules that are consistent. Anywhere else in the Torah where there are dots on words, we use those dots to weaken the meaning of the word. It would be a real stretch to say, except this case. This case, the dots don't weaken the meaning of the word, but the meaning of the context within which the word appears. And actually, it makes the word stronger than we would have thought. Not only did he kiss him, but he kissed him. How would Rabbi Shem Yochai suggest such a thing? And then we'll just throw out three other points that we have to pay attention to before we can start to explain what's going on over here. Why do we have to know that it's the brysa of the Sifri that Rashi is referring to? Sifri is a good source. We don't have to know the nuance of which part of Sifri it is. Why do we have to know it's a halacha that Esav hates Yaakov? We could just say, we just, what's relevant over here is to know that it's clear Asaph hates Yaakov. We don't have to know that there's an Allahic status to it. What does Rashi tell us then? Almost every version of the Sifri says that Asaph's emotions switched, they pivoted. Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi is quoting the Sifri but borrowing words from the Midrash that his compassion was aroused. Why is that important? Okay, so quite a lot of stuff that we have to try and unpack and in order to do that what the Rebbe is going to do for us is totally shift what Rashi is addressing. Up until now we believed that Rashi is addressing the dots above the letters and therefore depending on this principle of dots Weakening the normal interpretation of the letters, either you're going to say that that tells us this kiss was insincere, or you're going to do the more convoluted approach of Rabbi Shimba Yichai, as we've explained it so far, which is, well, it's the context that is being weakened. The Rebbe's going to tell us it's not actually what bothers Rashi over here, it's not what instigates this whole conversation. When we work out what is driving the conversation, everything about Rashi's message will shift in our minds. Rashi, not here, and pretty much not anywhere, is looking to resolve specifically the letters. commotion, we've, is We've noted this therapist says many times, that Rashi doesn't interpret every single time there dots on words in the Torah. Rashi doesn't interpret every single time there are dots on words in the Torah. Therefore, the principle of what role dots play in the Torah, as well as missing or extra letters, words that are spelled out, with a vav, without a vav, with a yud, without a yud, those are not things that bother us at the pshat level. And if you're trying to interpret the pshat, you actually don't have to get into these conversations. But if you're in a place where as it is the Pshat of the story doesn't seem to make sense and then and then in the course of explaining what doesn't make sense Rashi also addresses either the dots or the extra verb or the missing valve etc. He'll be doing that to help us get a clearer picture of the simple meaning of the Pesach. Rashi is primarily driven over here to answer a glaring question in the pshat of this story. we know who we're dealing with. How did it happen? How did Esav suddenly shed his normal persona and become this cuddly loving man? To his brother Yaakov we already know from the end of Pashas that he's got this heavy grudge against Yaakov and therefore he wants to kill him and the messengers that Yaakov sent to scout Esav's approach come back to say he still hates you and he's on his way in this particular interaction to fight against Yaakov with 400 vigilantes 400 mercenaries what changed? That's what's bothering Rashi and should bother any thinking person who reads this parasha. Therefore Rashi explains the fact that he embraced him. is really an unusual occasion. Something touched him. What touched him? He saw Yaakov bowing and bowing, touched him, and therefore he hugged him nobody's going to debate that everybody agrees that's the simplest way to understand the Pasuk Yaakov did something to touch the soul of Esav and Esav responded he hugged him but when you get to the next point that he kissed him And you think, hang on a second, kissing somebody? That's not just showing the kind of love between people where you're willing to hug and embrace somebody. That actually indicates a very active, very advanced kind of love. It's not only saying I love you, it's not only showing him a beautiful hug. and It kisses him. And a child who's learned chumash Knows what a kiss means A child knows from personal experience The advantage over a kiss A kiss has over a hug it's, it's From his own experience of From his parents The difference between his parents Give him a hug And his parents give him a kiss How did that happen to We get it So Asaf is touched enough That he's emotionally Wants to give his brother a hug But a kiss now it's no longer logical to say it was just a response to Yaakov's gestures. That would never be enough to transform Asa from one extreme, the hater who's ready to murder his brother, to the guy who's kissing his brother? And that from hatred and a willingness to murder his brother, he's now going to show so much love? And not only will he show him love, but love that says a hug isn't enough and I have to do more. That's what's bothering Rashi. What twigged in Esau's brain. Rashi says to understand that we're going to have to look at the Nakudas. We don't look at Nakudas unless there's something in the Pshat that It will help us to understand. Nakudolav these dots are relevant to understanding the simple understanding of the posse. and it's going to fit the same system of any time there are dots and words right across the Torah that it is a weakened version of what's being described and therefore the first place Rashi goes is to say the kiss actually wasn't sincere it may look amazing for the cameras but it wasn't actually sincere but what a kiss from Esau that is not sincere looks like that is a matter of debate and both sides of the debate are equally valid according to P'sha She explains the two views The fact that this is not a true kiss There are two valid ways to explain why and how that is One opinion is it was completely insincere Even though he was awakened to have a sense of compassion Because of the gestures that Yaakov made by bowing to him And eventually not only did Hagim he kissed him as well The hug was true, was sincere The Rachamin was sincere By the time it got to the kiss it was no longer sincere First opinion but then there's another opinion. Rabbi Shimba Yhoy. Actually, the arousal of compassion was so strong that the kiss was genuine. After he hugged him, it's which was the response from him awakening this love. What Rabbi Shimba Yoy is saying at the time that he hugged his brother, that aroused deeper compassion he suddenly became filled with his warmth towards his brother which prompted him to actually then kiss his brother which he never expected to do and genuinely so why is it then part of the same that it's not sincere because it was only in the heat of the moment it's not asav as asav. Is it's Esav in that experience? <coughs> now <coughs> Rashi has to clarify for us and highlight for us that even Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who sounds like he's giving Esav a lot of credit for a sincere kiss, actually is not saying it's that sincere. Rashi has to prove that. And, and therefore, as we've already explained, that the nikkud is not to weaken the word in the classical sense that this kiss was not sincere, but rather that his attitude wasn't consistently this kiss. So therefore, that's what Rashi says. Before we get to Rabbi Shimba Yuchoi, says, let's just remind ourselves that it's a halacha, of hates Jacob. That is the consistent value. halacha mashma din. Halacha is law. Laws are immutable. And a child understands that even without having learned Mishnah You know, rules are rules. They don't change. The child knows this because he knows the rules of Judaism are immutable rules. We don't switch out Shabbos because there's a big ball game. That's Rashbi's opinion The inherent absolute hatred that Esau has to Yaakov Cannot change It's a halokha This axiom that Esau hates Yaakov Is as solid as a halokha That can never change But he's kissing him here that was a, it was a, 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 a um, an aberration. It, it, it was a break, a breakdown on, on Esau's part. He's not being Esau at this point. But Esau, he's suddenly feeling compassion. By the way, halacha works that way too. There's an immutable halacha, and then there are circumstances. Sometimes you can have a temporary, uh, um, a, a temporary application of a law which is against halacha. Gagoyin Eliyab HaRakamal, the most famous example, of course, Eliyab HaNovi bringing a karmen outside of the base HaMikdash and Harakamel to deal with the prophets of Baal, it's not allowed, but HaRashah, you accommodate it for a specific circumstance. da, da, It's not that the halochah has changed, the remains. You cannot make a bama outside of the base HaMikdash. El But it's possible that while the rule is in place One may not bring a korban on a bomber outside of the base And Eliyahu is allowed to for this particular emergency In fact you see it in Yaakov's behavior too Yaakov was a man of integrity and sincerity But when Esav spent his whole life fooling his father that he's a good guy And therefore, that convinced Yitzchak to want to give Esav the bruches. Because he successfully convinced his father that he was so vigilant about mitzvahs. Then Yaakov says, okay, I've got to temporarily not be the Ishtam and I've got to also be conniving. But it's not regular corruption or, 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 or cheating. It's the kind of thing that elicits bruches, as Rashi tells us, or as uh, Unklis tells us, that the mirma over here is sly, it's wisdom, it's insight. The point being that you can have a status with an aberration in the status, it doesn't undermine the status. So the status is Esav hates Yaakov, right now there's an aberration, he's kissing him wholeheartedly. That helps us to understand all of the questions that we asked. Aleph. That's why Rashi didn't choose to quote the two opinions in Avastir Reb Nasan, which is more concise Where the one opinion says it's not a true kiss and the other says it is a true kiss No, because Rashi's views that even Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi says Doesn't mean it was a true expression of the love that a kiss would convey Because truth doesn't change the debate between the two opinions is just what does it mean? How deep was the insincerity of this kiss? The first opinion is Even in the moment, it was completely in, insincere. Rashbi says, No, there was an aberration over here. There was a temporary glimpse of an Asaph who could love Yaakov. But because the halacha reinstates the status quo, which is that actually, actually Esav completely hates Yaakov. Even in that moment, it's not the truth of Asaf, it's the truth of the moment. Also, Why didn't Rashi quote verbatim from the Sifri, that, that his feelings were transposed into compassion? Because that would imply that Aesov's hatred was converted into compassion and that didn't happen. Rashi wants to make it clear that at the very best case scenario, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yocho's opinion, his compassion was aroused But his temperament wasn't transformed. His character wasn't transformed. he he had this flutter in his heart at that particular time of compassion and love, and (coughs) you know that that spilled out into this kiss. Also, we now understand why Rashi specifically told us where this is from—not just Sifri, but Brisa de Sifri. Why is that? you look at Sifri you think of Sifri in the context of Medrash Medrash is not always so absolutely literal so yes is maybe a turn of phrase that we know Esav hates us in other words the conclusion of all our analysis of Esav comes to a conclusion he absolutely hates us almost to the, to the point as if it were a halacha to Sifri. Rashi says, no, no, no. This was written in the brisa of Sifri meaning, That is the part of commentary that is halachic in nature. It's not a medrash which is perhaps a little bit grave for some people. It is a binding legal principle, Shah Asaf, so that Asaf hates Yaakov, and therefore it's immutable. And therefore, if in the moment Asaf has this rush of love, it's not who he really is, it's just an experience he's had. Still, another question. What's pushing Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai to argue for Asaf? The first opinion is great. He was insincere. We, we relate to it. It makes sense in Pshat. Why is Rabbi Shemba Yechoi looking to defend Esau? Where is there anything in the Pshat that indicates that there was any sincerity in Esau? Rashbi himself introduces his comment by saying, that it's a legal principle, it's an axiom, that Asaf hates Yaakov. You, the next thing you'd expect out of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's mouth is, and so too here, it was an insincere kiss to his brother. The explanation is again context read the context of this encounter and you see that Esau is in an incredibly emotional state probably something he could never have anticipated the pasuk says it says they cried do you see Esau as a man who cries? that's an incredible outpouring of emotion And look at what Esau says to Yaakov afterwards. Which Rashi says, he acknowledges that the bruches belong to Yaakov. Look what's happening with Esau. And then he says, let me give you some people to assist you on on your way and let's travel together. In that context of this incredible behavior from Esau that nobody would have anticipated it is actually difficult to accept that this was all just a show and Esaf had no intention of actually any of it and that's what prompts Rabbi Shem to say you know what, something was happening internally with Esav at that point that arose compassion yes it was fleeting but it was actually there in the moment now as I mentioned earlier, sometimes when you have two commentaries on a single pasuk and we want to say that they are equally valid, it's not only because each one is equally valid in the Pesach, it's also because each one may have a weak point and therefore they kind of balance each other. Now we understand what Rashi is saying, there are two equal valid perspectives on this. Because the weakness is an equal weakness in either parish the first proposal which says he was completely insincere Esav had no strand of sincerity in his kiss to Yaakov how does he fit that in with all the outpouring of emotion and reconciliation that follows which all seems to show that there was some sincerity in Esav because now he wants to help Yaakov and acknowledge the bruches etc so the weak point of that opinion is doesn't fit the context so perfectly whereas the weak point in Rabbi Shimbah Yochoi's argument is yes the context of what follows suits your suggestion that this isn't sick is, this is a circus. but what about the context of everything else about ASA, where he normally hates him and so they both have an equal weakness the context doesn't support their pirish completely so, everybody's happy at this point because we've explained why Vayichab Keyu has explained the one, why Vayishab Keu, the two opinions, why the two opinions have to be the same, why Rashi uses the words of the Sifri, why he tells us his brides are the Sifri, why Rabbi Shimba Yochai is defending the possible sincerity of Esav at least in the moment. But if you're really on the ball and a sharp student, you still have a question. Let's be honest. Rabbi Shimba Yochai is the one who drew our attention to the seething, enduring animosity of Esav to Yaakov how does he land up being the person Davka who tells us that actually in that moment Esav kissed him sincerely let somebody else say it Rashi alludes to the answer to that question by saying do you realize who's saying this not just it happens to be this rabbi what happened in his life who is he? What was his experience? What was his personal engagement with Esau's descendants? Because that's going to be really insightful. <speaking> in Rabbi <Hebrew> Shimba lived in the time of the Roman Empire who are direct descendants of Esau. <speaking in Hebrew> at a time when there were terribly difficult challenges against the Jewish people decreased by the Roman government. <speaking in Hebrew> and he suffered personally. To the point that he had to run away and hide in a cave of 13 years. If there's anybody who should think that the Romans, the Edom, Esav, are the worst of the worst, it's Rabbi Shimon Ba Yechoi. Yet the Gemara tells us, wild story, There was a time that the, the Romans wanted to ban Shabbos and Mila and Mikvah. So, and they had to choose a delegation to go repeal the decree. They chose Rabbi Shema Bar enemy of the state. They chose him to go to Rome to petition on behalf of the Jewish people. And regards to the fact that there was this horrific attitude of anti-Semitism and personal hatred to Rabbi Shema Bar not only did Rabbi Bar go, But he actually miraculously got them to repeal the decree Or they actually got to rip up the decree Basically the tells a crazy story He's on the way to Rome He meets up this demon And he says Wow, Hagar was met by Malachim When she went away from home And all I could get was a demon Okay, but they will make an ace through the demon as well They get to Rome The demon possesses the daughter of of the ruler and Rabbi Shimba Yichoi says, "Okay, I'll daven, and she'll be cured," which happens. At that point, the ruler says, "Come with me to my treasure house, right?" Whatever you want to ask, come. I'll take you to my church house. You can have whatever you want. So they said, "Let's have a look around." They found the decree. They ripped up the decree. Who brings Rome to its knees in this particular story? Rabbi Shimba Yichoi. In you know, other words, the same Rabbi Shimba Yichoi, who would have you would expect to stay miles away from Rome, is able to work with Rome and that is why Rabbi Shimon Bar could explain that something like that happens with Yaakov and Esav look the Roman Emperor he changes Yaakov is also somebody who is Rashi tells us and he threw his stick down and he split the yard in order to cross Nisim come easy to him like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi Paul Al Al he could have an impact on Aesav, Lak could have an impact on the Roman Emperor, despite the endemic hatred, to uh, temporarily have this arousal of compassion and kiss him wholeheartedly and this is exactly how Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi operates it's a very paradoxical reality but it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi's rea- reality we know what Chasidas explains Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi we know the very famous story when Rabbi Shimon and his son came out of the cave after 12 years Rabbi Loz looked around and he couldn't handle the fact that people were steeped in materialism and he caused devastation wherever he looked wherever he caused devastation Rabbi Shimon revived and rejuvenated what he had destroyed and then had to go back into the cave and calibrate in other words this attitude of rejuvenating and and helping and healing the world who That is the appropriate way that you're supposed to behave within the context of the world. Not to follow Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's primary focus, which is escape the world, be completely immersed in Torah learning to exclusion of all else. Rabbi Loz is coming from the perspective of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, pristine, absolute just dedicated to Torah all these people are crazy for being invested in the world and therefore they deserve whatever Rabbi Loza did to them Rabbi Shem who himself could live at that level of Torah so completely disengaged from the world is the same Rabbi Shem Bar who could heal the world the world as the world operates could be dealt with and guided by Rabbi Shimba Ba'Yechoi and the same principle, only at a higher scale, is Rabbi Shimba Yichol's famous line, I could carry all of the negative judgment that might be uh, de- deserving for the world. I could take it all on and prevent any of the tzuras. So, if Rabbi Shimba Yichol is going to neutralize any negativity that's aimed at the world, that doesn't mean he's going to make them all tzaddikim, because then there'd be no negativity. It means a world which is imperfect. It means people are engaged in improper things. Nevertheless, Rabbi Shimon Bar is powerful enough to take on and absorb, so to speak, all of their stuff so that they could be free of any uh, retribution. If you think about it, in a certain regard, being able to absorb the difficulty or imperfections of the world is actually more of an impact than changing the world. When you change the world, it's no longer world. In other words, it's no longer in its natural state, and that obviously means you completely eradicate all negativity because you've transformed the world. Whereas, is something else. Godliness is powerful enough that it can help and affect and bring value to an imperfect world. When the world is still lonely, right? And when the, the the negative of the world is still where it so to speak belongs, that's exactly what's happening with Yaakov and Esav. Rabbi Shimon Yichai is emphasizing. Yaakov doesn't transform Esav That's not the Kiddush of this story It will happen later in history It's not the Kiddush of this story It is Esav in his unrefined Lowly crass form Of hatred for the Jewish people At all times Even that Esav Could have this temporary experience Of compassion And kiss Yaakov With fullness of heart and that's going to teach us a massive lesson. the lesson for living in Golos. Golos is primarily the Golos of Edom and it's actually in two paradoxical realities. Esav hates us. Bottom line. Don't get too reliant. If they don't like us, don't think that any magic is going to happen. But that doesn't mean we can't change. We can't have an impact on them. Even the unrefined Esau could have moments of compassion and true love for us. She To help us do what we need to do and give us everything we need. That they, the Esau nations will be the ones who help us the Jewish people achieve our objectives with full force. The only way we get there, the only way we get the Esav to be loving and, 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 uh, and supportive is we have to stand absolutely firm in Torah and during Golas. And we are not phased at all by the fact that there are other people or other modes of thinking. And we say it straight. I was in a place of love and I kept all the 613 mitzvahs which basically means we proudly stand up and say we're Jewish people living in non-Jewish lands observing Jewish life. And it's for everybody's benefit not something to be ashamed of. And that will bring to the fulfillment of the prophecy in the after this week which is the message to Adam. And by who? By who is the manifestation? He is the anthropomorphosis of that transformation of Asa, because he is an Edomite who became a Ger. The expression goes: You use wood to create the axe to chop down the tree. How does Simo Inyan? How does that prophecy conclude? that uh, those who are the saviors will go to the mountain of Aesov and they will be in control of the whole world or at least in a revealed way that's already alluded to in this parasha that after Esau kissed Yaakov what did he say? he said let's, let's go, let's travel together and Yaakov agreed he just said not immediately I'll get you, I'll meet you as Rashi tells us, I'll catch up to you in the time of Mashiach. We should see the fulfillment of that prophecy and of that transformation of Esav and the clear manifestation of the Elisha's rule over the entire world with the coming of Mashiach. Mamish now.